How can we take a fresh view of adverse childhood events, toxic stress, addiction, codependency, and other barriers to living our fullest, best life? Let's take a deep dive into these and other compelling issues with my guest, Leslie Peters, right here on episode 262 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am grateful you're here, as I always am, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me here on the airways for months or maybe even years. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast, of course, is all about you and your life and your nursing career. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, technology, medicine, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show? That's right. It helps a lot of other people find the show. Go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, find The Nurse Keith Show, give it a rating of one to five stars, and write a little review. And if you email me at keith at nursekeith.com, I will read your review on air and thank you personally for all to hear. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, which you're going to want to check out, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 262. Today, we are welcoming friend of the pod, Leslie Peters RN of lesliepetersrn.com. And Leslie, we're going to jump right into the deep end. And I think you're the kind of person who lives in the deep end. I do live in, I know people are saying to me like, wow, what a great conversation. Like when it's dating, like we have great connection. I'm like, no, I have these conversations with everyone. I do this all the time. I don't even, I don't, I don't even go into the shallow end. So anyway, the deep end, what is it about chronic toxic stress and nurses? Why are we such purveyors of these types of experiences? <laughs> oh my God, where do we start? So, well, chronic toxic stress is relatively a new term, right? I mean, um, I think the first time I heard about it was with the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. Which we will talk about. Which we will talk about. Yeah. And that, my first introduction, that was like probably three years ago. Um, and chronic toxic stress, we want to talk about that. Basically, chronic toxic stress comes from triggering fight, flight, or freeze on a regular basis. Fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. Yes. Fight, flight, or freeze, you know. And so, God, a lot of things predispose you to it. Mm-hmm. But when you look at nurses and the situations that we're in on a daily basis, you know, and I don't know about you, like I thrive in fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you worked in a clinic, right? Clinic, home health, hospice. Yeah. I worked with some pretty, pretty ill and um, people who lived in fairly extreme states yeah. economically in terms of their family structure and otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And did you thrive in that? Oh my God. Or did it make you uncomfortable? No, I thrived in it. And then I burned out in it because I gave and gave and gave and gave and gave until I had nothing left. Right. So, you know, chronic toxic stress, we think we're thriving and there is a key and we'll get to it in a sec, but um, I found the key to keep chronic toxic stress from causing damage is vulnerability. Vulnerability. So what does that, what does that mean? And how does that translate into the, the daily life and or relationships of a nurse who's experiencing chronic 
toxic stress? So let's say let's say we're a new nurse and we're going in, right? And okay. we we think that by putting up a wall, putting on that armor, we're going to be able to shield ourselves internally from other people's pain, right? Doesn't work. And not only does it not work, it keeps our pain in from whatever it is we're feeling. And so that's when I think chronic toxic stress ends up becoming burnout, compassion, fatigue, because everything's just being bottled up. And one day it's going to just explode, you know. And what you see until the point where it actually is causing symptoms from physical illness or emotional illness is passive aggressive behavior, bullying, you know, playing the martyr, that type of thing is because you just, you can't let anything out. Vulnerability, um, what I found was in my practice, I always taught patients through my experiences. Mm -hmm. And because like you, I worked most of my life with um, lower income women and I, I didn't want to judge them. You know, so it was much easier to go in as a woman instead of a nurse and go, hey, look, when this happened to me, um, and even if it didn't, sometime I'd relate it to a friend's story. I would relate it to a story so they were getting the information from a woman, not a, and not to be whatever, but not a, a, a white middle class nurse who. And an authority figure, right, from the healthcare system. So, if I may interject for a second. So, sure. you know, when we're in nursing school or if anyone out there listening went, maybe got a psychology degree or became a therapist or counselor, you know, we're taught about therapeutic use of self and we need to be circumspect when we share about our own experience with our patients or clients, because we want to make sure we're doing it for them not for us. Like we're not trying to release a pressure valve inside us. We're actually trying to use something from our lives as an example. So right. that, so vulnerability, if we're ultra vulnerable and ultra authentic, we could just spill our guts to our patient and traumatize them. Right. <laughs> um, That's not, so, yeah. That's not what I'm, yeah. So how do you make that determination that I can share this piece of my life that's vulnerable and it's actually going to benefit the patient. How do you do that? Well, I think, you know, I, I think part of the beauty in what I did was I didn't do it intentionally, <laughs> you know, oh, looking back, okay. I just, I would always treat my clients, patients as just anyone I'd be friends with. As human beings. As human beings. And so it was right. funny. One time the head of Drexel's nursing said, you need to teach nurses how to do this. I said, there's only one problem. I kind of went against everything they told us in nursing school. Uh -huh. There are too many rules. I like, I'm not, you know, but, right. but it, it wasn't. So where you get in vulnerability is that if I have the same history as you and I've come through that or I know things that, that help me, then sharing that. Is it is in my opinion, I don't know if you call it therapeutic, but it's definitely on board. Now, if I just go in and, and someone has a problem with their like boyfriend and I go, Oh my god, my and you know, I make it a negative thing, then I don't think it helps. Right. But by doing even by saying, you know what, like I went through this and this is what helped me. If you're doing that all the time, you're releasing a little bit every time. And so if the patient benefits and you benefit, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
Right. Unless, you know, unless you're working, say, with a, a patient with, I don't know, let's say borderline personality disorder, and there's a risk they could use that information against you in the future or something. So you have to be circumspect and just kind of, you, you need to know your patient, know your client and decide how you're going to do those things. And, you know, we all make mistakes sometimes in our communication with patients, but we do have, you know, there's, there's boundaries and then there's boundaries, right? You can have boundaries that are so firm, like you're saying, I guess that you can be so inauthentic and bottle everything up so much. And then, then I think there's a risk there. Wouldn't you say with your patient or client of seeming like you're just perfect, your life is great, and you're this authority figure? Yeah, that. And then I think what really happens that I saw once I became mm -hmm. aware of this is that instead of being empathetic, we're being sympathetic, right? Like oh, in sympathetic, okay. if you watch Renee Brown, I love she is the greatest example. I love her too. Yeah. Oh God, I love her. She is, but I I disagree with her on vulnerability. I think you need. Okay. To, I think we need to be vulnerable with everyone. But anyhow, what I was going to say is like sympathy is more like oh you poor thing. I'm so sorry. Well, that's like super mm -hmm. judgy. Empathy is like God. I don't know what I can do, but I'm here. I'll mm -hmm. I'll, I'll sit with you through this. You know, empathy right. is just you're there. Empathy is more to like reflecting feelings. Like that must be an incredibly difficult situation you're in. I, I'm right here. I am, I'm listening. Right. Yeah. You're so brave to do that. Like just, it yeah. is. I mean, there are a lot of, here's, you know, I, I, I don't, I want to be careful how I say this, <laughs> but when it comes to communication with people, I think the more we get in our head, the more trouble we're in because mm -hmm. most nurses that I've met, actually all nurses that I've met are, are coming from a place of the heart. You know, I mean, they really want to help. And if you're coming from the place of the heart and you're communicating with someone on an authentic level and you genuinely care, there's, chances are you're not going to say the wrong thing. You're going to say the true. wrong thing when you contemplate it. Right. And nurses' intuition is a thing. Like yeah, oh, absolutely. A lot of us do trust our gut. And yes. I would say generally my gut is pretty right on most of the time. Yeah. Mine is too. Mine is too. And yeah. the only time in, in life where, and where it hasn't, well, it has been dead on, but I haven't listened to it. And that was mm -hmm. with like family, you know, who I couldn't mm. trust. But that's that's when life didn't go so good and I made bad decisions is when I, I hid or pretended I was somebody I wasn't because right. uh, I wasn't listening to my gut. Right. Now in your bio and on your website, you're pretty transparent about your life, mm -hmm. right? You say that you're the daughter of a man who was an addict and a woman who enabled his addiction. You're a little girl who adored your dad and believed his words about who I, who you were and who you weren't. You were the teenager trying to stay true to yourself while earning the love of her parents. Um, you were the adolescent who felt alone and knew she needed help. And you were the young adult who turned her hurt into love and acceptance for others. And you go on and you go on about that. Yeah, I go on and on. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't mean on and on, but no, you I do don't. continue that aspect of your story. So have you found in your travels and peregrinations that a lot of nurses out there have similar stories of either abuse, addiction, divorce, um, 
um, you know, codependency, et cetera, dysfunctional family. What's going on out there with nurses and what do you feel you've seen in the nursing world specifically? Yeah, I've seen, you know what? I mean, nurses are kind of tough to break through. If you're just, I think that's why, yes. you know, bonding is always going to a bar or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when I would get like one-on-one with them, um, what I saw most or what they were sharing most was growing up in a family where there was some type of addiction. So codependency. Um, and codependency, I mean, it brings with it some really unhealthy coping mechanisms that serve you well mm-hmm. in childhood. Sure. Because you have to an, survive. Right. But as an yeah. adult, sometimes, yeah. you know, I remember, and I didn't realize, I got to be honest, I didn't realize I was codependent until, was it 2012, when my 18-year-old signed himself in rehab for alcohol abuse, and someone said, you should read Codependent No More. And I read this book, like, best if I've read any other book, and I just kept saying, oh, my God, like, I am so not emotionally well and healthy, Mm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what started my own deep dive into personal development. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what's funny is that with, with our stories, like I thought my family was normal. That's how crazy it is, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think part of that's because when you do grow up in a dysfunctional family, you don't bring people over a whole lot because you never know what's going to happen. Right. Like if you have an alcoholic father who has violent outbursts, you're not necessarily going to invite your your girlfriends from high school over in the evening after school. Yeah. And so so you do tend and that one thing you just said there, that's I kind of took us off the topic of chronic toxic stress. But that's okay. That's kind of like chronic toxic stress is the ACEs study identifies 10 experiences, addiction being one of them. ACEs meaning adverse childhood events study. Adverse Childhood Experience Study. Yeah. Experience study. Experience study. And okay. what that that identified these experiences which caused like a whole slew of events. They but one of the things I interpret that study as I take it a bit further is that it's not necessarily the experience, it's that feeling of not being safe emotionally or physically, real or perceived, right? So Mm -hmm. if your dad comes home drunk every night and every day you're waiting as he's coming home from school, like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing may happen, but that what's going to happen, you know, they compare it to a tiger. Like, you know, if you think a tiger's chasing you all the time, you're on chronic high alert and your body never has a chance to come down into the rest and relaxation phase after Mm. a fight or flight. Because you're this little child in chronic stress and worry and anxiety. You have cortisol coursing through your system all the time. Yeah, right? you got cortisol and causing inflammation. In the younger ages, it causes a, um enlargement of the amygdala, which handles our emotional. Does it really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that's why you get kids with emotional dysregulation. It shrinks the hippocampus, which is the memory, changes the neural pathways, Um and I mean, it's ridiculous. And then as the primitive brain is like getting overworked, I imagine like a muscle, mm-hmm. um, it over, uh, this isn't probably the technical term, but kind of overdevelops. But what happens is the cognitive brain doesn't develop the way it should. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so the brain stem is more active. The, the, yeah, um, the primitive survival. Brain. 
Right. Yep. Your survival where the medulla and the amygdala and, you know, so, so they're serious. I mean, they're looking right now and you think of how many nurses have ADD. I mean, ADD, oh my gosh, bipolar, <laughs> learning OCD. disabilities, yeah. OCD, all that stuff. They're looking going, is this actually chronic toxic stress? And right now I think it's up to 90 diseases that um, are attributed to chronic toxic stress. CDC actually mm. puts the, um, I saw on their website once a quote that the ACEs, your ACEs score is um, a prime determinant of future health and well-being over modifiable risk factors. That's huge. Now, just to pause for a second, the ACEs study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study, is that a long-term study that's still going on or is that study done? It's done, but now it triggered a lot of research. So this study, it's actually amazing. It was done over 20 years ago by CDC and Kaiser. It was one of the largest, I think they had 17,000 middle-class participants in it. It's looking at obesity. It wasn't even about chronic toxic stress. And what they found out is that people could lose weight, but they weren't maintaining weight loss and they couldn't figure out why. So they ended up like going back into the psychosocial history and they found these 10 experiences back then was abused and collect having um, a single family single head why can't I say this <laughs> a parent a household yeah. with one caregiver yeah. right um, addiction having a family member in prison seeing your mom hit um, mm. remember it was 20 years ago too they've yes there are so many different versions of that ACE study now I still use the original one because that's what the that's what the the research was based on. So this opened the door to more studies and a deeper dive into what happens in childhood and how that manifests in adulthood? Yes. Well, yeah, and in childhood too. So now schools, it's really big in schools too because they're looking at all the behavior issues of kids and going, wait a second, these aren't bad kids. What are they experiencing at home that's making them behave this way. Another crazy mm. thing, like particularly I worked in OB, is that if a mom suffers chronic toxic stress while pregnant, it changes the fetal DNA. It doesn't matter what point in pregnancy. Huh. So now you don't even know that child's like um, the mapping of what their health would look on based on genetics. You know, it's just totally changed. And, you know, it's funny, I was a couple months back, and this is still in the chronic toxic stress, I um, was giving yoga lessons to a physician. And so he was telling me he was writing a study with another doctor on type 2 diabetes. And they were looking at it to, they want to get the classification changed to an autoimmune. And he said that the damage they were seeing in the retina and the heart wasn't consistent with diabetes. And I said, by the way, any chance it's consistent with inflammatory disease? He said, yeah, why'd you say that? How do you know Mm -hmm. that? And I said, chronic toxic stress. So it took me about two months to really explain to him what this is. And they actually, their study now is the main concept is chronic toxic stress. Good for you for inserting that into that particular yeah. piece of research happening. I know. And then I said to him, I'm like, can I get listed in the study as a consultant or like bring it? I said, if you would have, chronic toxic stress would have been without me, then don't. But if you <laughs> never would have mentioned it. So yeah, so he put me on as a consultant. But I mean, there, it's great. not just average childhood experiences now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I think I had mentioned to you once before, I have a 27, ooh, 28 year old now, but a couple of years ago, he went into DKA, mm-hmm. no history of diabetes in the family, nothing. Hmm. And so when they went in, I'm looking, going, I'm going, the doctor's down in your first aid pen. It's chronic toxic stress. And they're looking at me like I'm nuts. I'm like, I bet you, does he have other autoimmunes going on? And so I did some snooping around and uh, apparently late onset type 1 diabetes, according to my son's endocrinologist, is at epidemic proportions at University of Penn. So I started talking to the nurses at the hospital. And according to the nurses, so is colon cancer among millennials. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. boy. So you want to hear the tie-in? What's the tie-in then? <laughs> so the tie-in, I was looking back, millennials or the, the, my son's age and younger are the ones that saw the atrocities of the world going on the computer every day with the internet. Of course. Of course. So they grew up in this hyper-connected world. Right. Well, underlying feeling of not being safe. Plus, they don't have the the connection one-on-one we had, which releases oxytocin. So I think they're less resilient. Right. And it's, and, you know, we can talk forever about millennials and I can talk about how much I love them and think their generation is absolutely amazing. However, at the same time, they have been exposed to something. And I kind of think culturally and societally, we've experimented on them. Like mm-hmm. we, I hear a lot of older people like my age or older complaining about how millennials are always on their devices. And, and my response is always, well, who created and marketed those devices and put them in their hands? Like they didn't, they didn't like go out there as one-year-olds and create iPhones and like say, oh, I want to use this. I mean, we, we yeah. gave it to them. So that's another conversation. But there's an, a massive, I think, cultural experiment happening on these generations and i feel really sorry for them because you know what as parents i was recently talking to um, a a freshman class of nursing students and i gave the aces score out and i wasn't surprised like they didn't have high aces scores Mm -hmm. like i'm in my late 50s women my age like a nursing class my age you'd probably see six sevens eight nine ten it could scale one to ten theirs were one and two i think there was one girl with an eight but they're less resilient than we are Mm. and that's partially our fault i think where it's like you know we were may have been sexually abused and grew up with alcoholics and whatever but like oh just that yeah just but i think what happened is that our generation wanted to be nothing like our parents. And so we didn't let these ki- our kids fail yeah. at all. And it's not their fault. No, yeah, it's, it's not, not their, their fault. fault. It's, it's our yeah. fault and society's fault. Yeah. So when we come back from a quick break, Leslie, I want to talk more about codependency and these issues that you work with. And I especially want to talk about your model of living with heart, H-E-A-R-T. And we're going to talk about what that stands for. And then I want to talk about the self and life skills that you work with people and within organizations to develop and improve in order to move forward towards more success and more happiness and contentment in life. So when we come back, we're going to dive into those and continue this conversation, which is so very rich. So just stay right there. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. 
Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to NurseKeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, NurseKeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today, so now... Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And we're back for the second half of Nurse Keith's show, episode 262. Remember the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 262. And we're with friend of the pod, Leslie Peters from lesliepetersrn.com. You're definitely going to want to check out her wonderful, informative an inspiring website. And Leslie, before the break, gosh, we could talk about this stuff for hours, but we were talking about the ACEs study, Adverse Childhood Experiences study. We were talking about the effects of chronic toxic stress, where it comes from, codependency, addiction. And we also just took a little bit of a dive into why the millennial generation has been set up by the previous generations who raised them, we set the stage for them to be in a situation where they're living in a world of such stress and they've been exposed to so much that we weren't exposed to as young people. And we were just talking about how that manifests. So continuing that conversation from before the break, for young people today, 2020, here in the United States and and anywhere else in the world, what can we begin to do in order to start turning around some of these issues around chronic toxic stress? And how do we help people, especially the younger people, get on track for their lives so that they can live the lives that they deserve to live? Yeah, well, loaded question. You know, it's it's funny because... I say when I talk to people, like, life is not about you, but it's all about you, right? In that one of the things I wish I knew way back when I would have taught my kids is like, it means nothing about you. Because thinking about all the things that happen in life, it's because we take an experience and, and we take it to mean something about who we are. Nine out of 10 times, it's nothing. It's the other person's issue, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that, the problem is they don't realize they're stressed because it's not normal. Like I feel stressed. It's, it's an underlying feeling of just not being safe in the world. 
I mean, seriously, okay. look at our political environment right now. And of course, oh and, my gosh. You know, it's just adults don't feel safe in the world. But the we were saying before the break, I think the difference was that we were resilient because we were in the generation, or at least I'm in my late 50s. I was in the generation of suck it up. No matter what happened, you suck it up, uh-huh. move on. Uh-huh. Right. That's not good. But what it did. And do, you were raised by members of the silent generation, oh, or what they call the silent generation. So what happened there then? When you suck it up. So what happens when you suck it up, it's not good because everything, you know, we think I've heard actually nurses when I'm interviewing them say, well, I just take those bad feelings, put them in a box and suck them away. They're not going away. Unfortunately, like to, to deal with anything, you got to feel it. That's it. Once you feel it, then you let go of it. The reason we can't let go is because we just shove it in, shove it in long enough, and that trauma or that feeling of unsafe, whatever that negative emotion is, gets into the cells. Like I've seen some weird stuff. Like I've I've kind of been my own guinea pig in the past couple of years with chronic toxic stress and and um, how it reacts in the body. But but yeah, secrecy is never good. Yeah. So my understanding from what I've read and listened to and also just learned from you and our interactions is that this particular model that you use, the H-E-A-R-T model, the heart model, this is one of the ways in which you help people and empower them to to be more embodied in their lives, right? To feel more whole. Yes. And what does heart stand for in your particular world? And how do you utilize it to help people make these types of leaps emotionally and in their development? Sure, sure. And if I can preface it by saying like the way I came about learning this was Mm -hmm. because of my own trauma and childhood, I didn't feel connected to my family. So as soon as I got my driver's license, I went out and I started talking to strangers and hugging strangers and asking deep questions of people and, and like everyone always answered. And I learned so much, but what I saw throughout the years and even with all the patients I took care of was that once you validated someone's humanness, mm-hmm. you saw them like, you know, it, once you were able to answer the three questions, do you see me? Do you hear me? And do I matter? Like, we don't, we discount that, I think, but that is key, particularly if you had trauma and, and most of us, to be honest, trauma or not, come out of childhood with some belief that we're not enough. Absolutely. So what's the first thing you need to do to everyone, not just patients? Mm-hmm make somebody feel like they're enough. Oh. Right? Like I do it. I find every stranger uh-huh. I see, whether I go to the grocery store, pretty much every person I see, I find something I can compliment them on. So do you see me? Do you hear me? Do I matter? Those are the three questions. And yeah. for a nurse working with, I guess, any patient at all, from children to elders on hospice, it sounds like those are three questions to kind of keep on in the back of your mind anytime you're interacting with anyone, right? Yeah, not just patients. As I said, because life is tough enough and most of us doubt ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need validation and a smile can be validation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that color looks amazing on you. That's validation. And so what I found is that with my clients, treating them 
as a person first, patient second, that was, that was huge because that set the tone for a different type of relationship where we were equals. Right. So you're breaking down the hierarchy. And so you're not standing above them in a way. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because then I know I've seen this happen with doctors Mm -hmm. and patients. They give them these, these unrealistic goals. The patients can't meet them. The patients feel like they failed. They don't want to go back. So they don't go back when they do get back. Then they get yelled at for not going back. Guess what? That's the parent child relationship. (laughs) Right. That serves nobody. Right? Frustrates the provider and, and the patient ends up hating and feeling judged and disrespected. And that's why I heard a lot in home care. I don't know if you ever heard this, but I heard all the time, I feel disrespected. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Well, I heard that throughout my career from patients. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you go there and you wait three hours for a visit and then somebody shushes you in and out for three minutes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it probably mm-hmm. is true. You know, Speaking of which, that's one reason I loved home health and why I worked in home health the majority of my 23 years working as a clinician was that I loved the one-on-one. I loved going into someone's home. I'm in their castle. I'm in there on their rules, on their time, sitting on their couch, and I meet their dog and their cousin and their husband and their children and the neighbors, and I get an inside view of their lives, and I'm just there drinking tea with them, talking and doing my thing. And And did you not get a whole different viewpoint of what their problems really were? Oh, astronomically different viewpoint of what was going on for them, because you can see it in a different manner. You see it in a different light. Yeah. yeah. You don't see them like when you're crazy busy at the hospital and they're just coming in and, and we can get a little judgy, right? We mm-hmm. can get like a drug seeker, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and once I went into the homes, I went, Oh, I see this whole different, you know, and, and goal setting like diabetics. God, I had some endocrinologists that set these regimens for these women. And I remember calling an endocrinologist one time and went like, okay, please don't take this wrong way, but could you do this regimen? And he goes, probably not. And I said, well, why, why? Like I would rather, I, and I would tell physicians all the time, I'd call them and say, listen, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of negotiating with the patient. Like here's our, here's the optimum, but what can we realist, what can you realistically do by next week? You know, I even had a girl check this out. I'm like, she had to want to get caught. I go in, she's pregnant. First time I meet her, she's getting high and drinking a glass of wine. Mm. And we had a scout. I came at the scheduled time. So we had this conversation. I'm like, how many joints do you smoke a day? She's like seven or eight. I said, all right, well, I'm not going to tell you to like quit right away. But by the time I get here next week, what could you realistically drop it down to? She goes, I think I could drop it to five. I said, all right. I'm holding you to it. And I mean, I get even, I'd be like, pinky swear. Like whatever <laughs> it is to make, to lighten the huge burden I'm asking you for the health, right? Mm-hmm. So I call the physician, I'm like, you okay with this? They're like, yeah, because I'd much rather have a patient meet a very tiny goal and feel good about themselves mm-hmm. than fail at a goal and, and just discount the whole thing. Right, the good old smart goal in a way, right. What I want to do actually is hop on the track of heart. So you've developed this system and this is sort of what I see as it's one of the kernels or cores of your work that you do with individuals and organizations. So what does heart stand for in Leslie Peters' cosmology? 
So HEART stands for Honesty, Empathy, Acceptance, Relatability, and Trust. Relatability. Okay. Relatability and trust. And it came about because a coach once said to me, teach people what you do. I said, what do you mean? He goes, what makes you like go towards people that most of us walk away from? Mm-hmm. And that's what I really thought. And so um, that's, that's where I went. I was telling them the basis of how I came up with it. So hard came about from my interactions with the world. You know, mm. and, and I saw that's what works. So the essence of the heart model is validating someone's humanness before you address the brokenness. I see. And on your website, it says a life without heart leads to your heart being empty of a love that's genuine and pure, that your mind will be filled with fear, frustration, judgment, anger, and uncertainty. And so without, without honesty, empathy, acceptance, relatability, and trust, what happens to an individual? So here's, and, and this, since I left two years mm-hmm. ago, worked two years ago, this has evolved, right? So I need to update that website. We're in the process. Okay. But when I first left work, I thought heart was simply about extending heart to others, mm-hmm. right? But then, and I think it was, it was a year ago, um, things were going, momentum's great. And I'm like, oh, I just had this feeling I had to get good before things got good. So I started doing this practice um, to try to uncover some of my trauma. I blocked out like seven years of my childhood. And on one of these things, it was like you write with the dominant hand a question from the adult self and the child self answers. Oh, I've done that in workshops. Yes. Oh my God, freaked mm-hmm. me out, right? Like I always wake up with anxiety in the morning. So I assume something happened to me in the mornings. So from the adult hand, I wrote like, why do we wake up every morning with, you know, anxiety? And the non-dominant hand's writing, I hate her. And I'm like, hate who? And they're like, hate Leslie. And I'm like, oh God, that's not good on Leslie, uh-huh. <laughs> right? So I did a deep dive. And what I realized is that when we're not authentic, when we're not true to who we are, we're, we're really abandoning our own selves and we're betraying ourselves, mm-hmm. right? If you're putting the armor on, if you're blocking, if you're pretending to be someone you're not or you're hiding the real you, it's pretty much like saying to yourself every time you have that armor on, you're not worthy of being seen. You're not worthy of being mm-hmm. seen. You're not worthy of being. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where all the self-doubt, the the like most people don't really trust themselves and their decisions. It's not, it's first about having heart with yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when you have heart with yourself, you don't even have to try to have it with others. It just exudes. Like, so the person I was in the streets when I was totally Leslie, authentic, doing home care, that was me. I didn't try to be nice to other people. I just, it just Mm -hmm. happened. Right. But that's because I trusted myself to know that I was in danger if I was going to be in danger or when not to trust people. Okay. And I was hiding my people. When I was hiding myself, I was in my head. I was Mm. going, what do I have to do to stay safe? Mm. So I have something to interject here then. So let's consider a nurse out there in the world. Maybe she's listening right now. And she grew up in an abusive household. Maybe there was addiction. Maybe she watched her mom being beaten. Maybe she was beaten. Who knows? Maybe there was sexual abuse. And she's had all sorts of adverse experiences throughout her childhood, early adulthood, and adulthood. And as a nurse, she has found herself judgmental. She has very little compassion or patience for her her patients and clients 
problems and challenging behaviors. And she has fallen into a habit of being impatient and judgmental of her colleagues. And maybe she's kind of moving in the, in the vicinity of being a bully or being at least using incivility as a way to manipulate others and manipulate situations. So what has that nurse not done and what does she need to do in order to change this calculus of her life? So what she probably hasn't done is like asked herself the questions that I ask in the conversation with heart that I do with people. And, and those are questions that like at that moment, first of all, you have to become self-aware to even know you're doing that. Right? If you don't even know that you're behaving like that, then you can't figure out why or you can't fix it. You got to know there's a problem. So the first thing I do with people is like just walk through and have them go through different tools of, of learning to notice what they're saying and what they're feeling. Um, and then once you do that, it's like taking when you feel that passive aggressiveness, right? Go like, what am I feeling? Why am I saying this? And usually it's because if you did grow up like codependency, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you don't feel safe. It's, you don't feel safe to be angry. You don't feel, you know, because um, a lot of times you were either meant to feel like you're crazy because the manipulation of the mindset of an addict or you just don't feel safe. You got to be the people pleaser. You have to make everyone happy because your worth is associated with helping and being needed and making other people happy. Mm-hmm. So you're not allowed to not be happy, but you are unhappy. You're angry. So it comes out in that passive aggressive. When I first realized I did this, I was sick to my stomach. I'm like, oh, oh my God, I do that all the I used to. Pass it. I'd make it really sweet and then put the little dig in at the end because mm-hmm. I didn't want to hurt someone, but I was angry. So I wanted to, you know, and, and so, but the first thing is you've got to become self-aware. So when you say become self-aware, I mean, I'm pretty transparent on this show mm-hmm. about having lived with depression and occasionally anxiety. I've been in therapy the mid- vast majority of my adult life and still am. And I find it incredibly helpful. I've done personal growth workshops, you know, all that kind of stuff I've done. So I have made a choice in my life based on my adverse childhood events of which there were quite a few to do this deep work on myself. And I'm 55 years old and I'm still doing it. I'm still learning mm-hmm. stuff like, oh my God, really? Is that really just <laughs> echoing yeah. from my childhood still? Haven't I gotten over it? So you and I were talking before we hit record and I was asking you if this uh, statistic was true and you corrected me a little bit, but you corroborated with me that the statistic I was quoting was almost close that 48% of nurses have been found to have grown up in a home with addiction, right? Yes. And that was was over two years ago. And I can't remember to be honest with you. I just, I read it. And at the time I wasn't doing this work. So I just, I read it too. I don't remember where I read it. So a lot of nurses are coming from a place of, we are people pleasers. We do want to care for others for whatever reason, whatever the motivations are. But it sounds like we have a lot more in common than that, don't we? 
Yeah, I think, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I think what I want to do when I get in schools is I want just people, the first thing you could do is self-awareness is ask yourself, why do you want to be a nurse? Mm-hmm. Why do you, and, and I want to help. You got to go deeper than that. Like, why do you want to help? What happens? How do you feel when you don't help? Right? Because um, the difference is huge. Codependence, we were talking earlier, we make amazing nurses. We're oh, yeah. great for our patients. Oh, we give and give and give. And give and give. But the problem <laughs> is, like, we, if we know we're codependent, right? And you can work on things to, to not become codependent. But mm-hmm. um, you're going to have to be really careful and, and you're going to have to really take care of yourself because that, the only person who's going to suffer from codependent is you uh-huh. because you will lose yourself and you'll sit there and go, you know, 20 years after the fact when like life is quiet going, Oh my God, who the heck am I? What do I want? You know, because you focused on everyone else. Right. Right. Um, I've to put everyone's needs in front of mine and I've subsumed yeah. my entire life for others to my detriment. Look to this day. Mm-hmm. And when I left work, the hardest question I had to answer when they wanted to say, what do you want to do? To me, that was like, oh, I felt like a deer in headlights. I don't know. I never thought about what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Back then, I never thought about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. It was what everyone else wanted. Right. So in order to be your best self, you have to be true to yourself. But in order to be true to yourself, you have to, like, you have to kind of connect with yourself. And by connect with yourself, I mean like the easiest way I think to do it is I just get people breathing and you put your hand on your belly or your heart and, and to learn to really just feel your body, mm-hmm. you know, cause the two have to work together, mind and body. And if we do have trauma, usually we like separate the two. Yeah. And how many of us at some point in our lives or others or other are not in our bodies. So take the teenage girl or teenage boy who feels like they just want to disappear they stop eating, they exercise much more than is healthy for them. You know, mm-hmm. they, they drink, you know, they, they might bring themselves to the brink of water toxicity, right? Cause they're trying to fill their stomach yeah. with water or they become bulimic and they're actually trying to make themselves disappear. Right. And, and an anorexic or bulimic. Right. And it's a control issue too. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, and that's the thing I think of nursing too, is a lot of times we don't have direct control over situations. Mm-hmm. It's very scary to know. Like the last two years on my own, as I with this heart model, and the angle of the heart model is to get somebody to be able to connect mind and body mm-hmm. and to learn to feel safe within their own skin so that you can prevent chronic toxic stress. And what I mean by that is when you're doing something and if you can feel that your body's starting to send you a signal going, yo, what are you doing? We're getting really frustrated. We're getting overwhelmed. If you can sense it, then you can pull yourself away from a situation and go, let me just breathe. Let me, I mean, the, the fixes are easy. So that's somatic sensing, right? That's being aware of your body, right? Yeah. It's being aware of the body. And, you know, I've learned it now, but being ADD nurse, whatever, just mm-hmm. my personality. I mean, I was the type, like if I was having a problem, I couldn't figure it out. I'd sit there for 12 hours till I figured it out. Getting mm. more and more frustrated, that overwhelm in itself can create chronic toxic stress if it's on a regular basis. I see. So Leslie, you're a nurse by training and education, right? And you said yeah. you worked in home care. Did you also work in acute care? I did. For 15, first 15 years, I worked in acute care. 
um, uh, labor delivery, NICU, and it was an LDRP in the last 15 years in home care. Okay, so you've been around. <laughs> You've been around the block. You've met a lot of nurses. You've interacted with lots of patients and families. You've interacted with physicians and surgeons and PTs and all these people in the helping professions, right? Um, yes. You've probably run into many who are codependent, many who are not in touch with any of their stuff, right? And yeah. they're walking around not living in their authentic self as seems to be your real mission here is to help people live authentic lives, right? Yeah, it's feeling it's feeling safe to just be you, to just be, that's it. And go like, if people don't like me, tough. I don't care. Okay. This is who I am. Now, if someone, and if someone says in response to that statement, you know, teaching you how to be you, how to live like you, if someone would say to you, say a nurse who's pretty burnt, and she looks at you and says, Leslie, I don't know who I am. So... What does someone do who has subsumed themselves so much that they they're a mother, they're a they're a wife, they're a nurse, but they don't even know what is really motivating them anymore? Yeah. What happens? You then? know. So what I find best is forced self awareness. You know, having someone else ask you the questions that are really hard to ask the questions to yourself, because in the I guess, quote unquote, coaching, I do um, conversation, a conversation with heart. It started by just ask like open ended questions to people and, and women started making like significant changes. My clients, former clients and their friends, like 30% of first ones I did in six months made major changes. I call them like, what? That's awesome. What made difference? They're like, it was that conversation. I'm like, what? You know, and that's mm. when I realized the impact that they have because it was asking people the questions they need to ask themselves to find out who they are. And it's okay. Most people don't know who they are, you know, but, and there's a difference. If you're totally happy, don't go there because personal development, as you know, it's awesome, but it can be hard. And I've done it alone with no support system. I wouldn't advise that either, no, you know? No, no. Yeah. Because there's some dark places you go, but at the end of the day, the payoff is knowing that it doesn't matter what somebody says to you, it doesn't matter what the world throws at you, if you know how to make yourself calm and bring yourself back to that grounded place, and once you get there, that's very easy. It's breathing. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I but mean, you have to get the, there. But you have to get there first, which is a long, is non overnight process. Yes. And so you work largely with individuals, not just nurses, but nurses are welcome to get in touch with you. And at lesliepetersrn.com, they can read about the heart pledge. They can read about the ACEs study. They can read about your services and your history. And you are pretty, pretty transparent here about your story. And so- so Art. the heart model, real quick, because I, I realized I never answered. The heart yeah. model is a compilation. It's personal development is what it is. And it's a compilation of business, personal development work. It involves like um, learning about the concept of heart and through a video course I did like a fun thing. And then it's a conversation from heart on a monthly basis, which is like helping people become self-aware. It's accountability, right? People set a self-love, because this is more than self-care. This is more than self-care. Yeah, this is way beyond. 
Yeah. Because you can have self-care and not be connected to yourself. I did it for years, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's um, online, like, webinars and stuff okay. like that. So what is, yeah. wait, wait, you, you just said something very compelling. Yeah. Self-care without self-knowledge or self-awareness. So that means you come home and take a bath, you, you know, whatever, but you don't, you, you're not diving deeper is that what that means? so yeah so yeah i mean i'm thinking a lot of people think like work and i'm not dissing physical self-care no it's right? great yeah but i'll give you a perfect example like uh, the old me before i really connected with me mm -hmm. um if i was feeling stressed i would have gone out shopping i would have done something like that mm -hmm. right and i would have thought that was self-care mm -hmm. now there are days i go like you know what i kind of just need to feel safe today mm -hmm. and and it I'm just going to like chill in my bed and watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. Like it's more of an emotional self-care, like knowing what you need internally to make you feel safe. Oh, Does that make sense? Yes. And before you and I hit record, we were also talking about this concept of self-connection. And what yeah. did you tell me that was so important that self-connection leads to? Uh, self, I can't remember now. Um, with self-connection leads to, we talked about the intro, self-connection just leads to you being able to trust, feel safe within you so that at the end of the day, the only person we have is us, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't know about men, but women say all the time, and I used to be one of them, like, I just want someone to have my back. We, yeah. we have to have our own backs. True. Right. True. Um, particularly if you're codependent, like, because I surround myself with addicts. So, like, they didn't even have to give to them. How am I expecting them to help me? <laughs> right. Because they, you did but, everything right? for them. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, like, they can't give it to themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So, the only person we can really count on to give us what we need is us. Yes. That's it. And one thing you said to me in that prior conversation was that self connection and authenticity are firmly intertwined that without yes. being connected to your real uh, real true self and knowing yourself how can you really live an authentic life and have authentic relationships right well, i don't think i saw that but that's good i'm, I'm no i'm <laughs> extrapolating here that's, that's how i've but, been thinking yeah, about it, it since you said it so and true self too like that's on a more simple level than mm -hmm. true self is you just have to feel safe to just be you. By that, I mean, like, if you don't want to go somewhere, don't say yes when you mean no. Say, no, you know what, thank you, but, like, mm -hmm. I really need to just be, you've got to be willing, you've got to feel safe enough to be willing to be judged by other people and be okay with that. You have to feel more? safe enough to be willing to be judged by others and be okay with it and just yeah. be like, okay, that's their judgment. Right. Yeah. If they don't like it. And I'm not saying be nasty, be a whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, like I've always my entire life, like kind of kept the little kid alive. So I blew bubbles. I like to, mm -hmm. I, I like to play sometimes. Yeah, right. Me too. Well, people might think I'm a weirdo, but mm -hmm. I don't care. It makes me feel happy. It's not hurting anyone. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, just, just be you. Like when I, I, and I'll tell you like the last year when I was going out to hospitals, right. I found myself putting the mask on again because 
I, I got, and, and this is where the heart and the head thing comes from. I got so in my head about having them understand what I was saying, being it's such a big topic, mm-hmm. that I wasn't even me. Like mm-hmm. I would walk out going, ooh, they didn't even see the real me because I couldn't find her, mm-hmm. right? And it didn't go well. But if I just go in and go, you know what? I'm going to say what I say the way I say it. And if they're supposed to hear it, they'll hear it. And if not, they won't. Right? But we get in that where we want to be heard, be seen, be understood, be whatever, accepted. And I felt felt prey to that myself. But the thing with self-awareness is I went, ooh, this is why it's not going well. I'm not being me. Right. Now, I understand that you work mostly with women, correct? Yes. For the most part? Okay. For the most part. For the most part. And are you working with organizations at this time or are you wanting to connect with organizations like hospitals or healthcare systems? Yeah, I've been talking to nurse leaders Mm -hmm. um, and I... I have, I've gone in with meetings and what I'm running into is with these conversations from heart, um, they're needing evidence-based from medical uh, of journals. Course. Right. Okay. So I have the testimonials from people and I have other stuff, but not from a medical journal. I see. So there's some more work to do there to find a way. Yeah. In, in well, I mean, I've submitted a grant to a pharmaceutical agency and I'm hoping because what I like to do is take this and do like a train the trainer what I submitted for the grant and offer it through WIC or state health insurance, offer it to low-income women, and then train healthcare professionals how to do it. But they'd also be getting the same personal development themselves. Right. They do the work themselves too at the same yeah. time. That's yeah. really And then the next, year, in the next couple of years, I want to start doing retreats for nurses. Good. So if like there's in, a nurse out there who feels like, oh my God, I'm really connecting with what Leslie's saying today. Should she go to lesliepetersrn.com to connect with you and read your story? Yeah, she can do that. Or she can email me at info at lesliepetersrn.com. Um, and there are also some Calendly links on there. Um, and if you want, I'll give you my phone number. I'm more than happy. You know, we can talk and see if I can help them out um, mm-hmm. through the conversations. But Great. it's it's really interesting stuff that, um, you know, and even if someone is going through it and they need like a supporter, I always mm-hmm. say like, you know, I help women believe and trust in themselves. But you know, I was joking to you. I said, I'll be your inner cheerleader while you're your inner critic until I can get you to the point where you're your inner cheerleader. That's great. And so they can find you on the website. We'll also have your LinkedIn, your Facebook. And I'll give you, I I haven't been that active on social media yet. I Mm -hmm. must be honest. I have a Vimeo channel that talks, but um, I'll also give you the Calendly link that they can schedule like a half hour free consultation. That's great. And, and perhaps if you have a video, you'd like us to embed in the show notes, any listener interested can go to nursekeith.com forward slash episode 262, watch the video and connect with you through the show notes as well. So I encourage if you're listening and you feel like, wow, I'm really resonating with what Leslie's saying. I really feel I want to do this work on myself or learn how to do it with others. I encourage you to connect with her and make that leap of asking for help and 
realizing that this is something you need in your life or something you'd like to bring to your clients, patients, family members, friends, yeah. etc. And can I say something yes, real please. quick is that, you know, if you do, I mean, this is nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to feel like you're flawed because you know what, like most everybody, you know, has some flaws. I'll raise <laughs> my hand right good. now. <laughs> Me too. I still yeah. have them. But the thing is, we are in, we're in a situation in our professions that we're helping others with their problems. Mm -hmm. So if we could come from a healthier place, imagine how we can teach other people. Mm. Like of all, we're teachers. I mean, we're, we're givers, but we are teachers. So right. whatever we can demonstrate to our clients, our patients, they take to their families like you tell to your friend, you know, so I don't, you know, but, but don't be ever ashamed. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, if you are a codependent, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just like, it's stuff from childhood that we learned that we mm -hmm. didn't know. Thank you, Leslie. I mean, I went through something this past weekend that got me in touch with that stuff. And a friend of mine had to remind me, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, this is okay. And hearing it from you, I'm taking it right in because I needed to hear Good. it today. So thank you very much. And oh, gosh, this, there's so much more to talk about. And I know you have a book coming out sometime in 2020. I do. I and do. I just, I'll be getting the draft, the manuscript, first manuscript on Friday. And the book is about the gift and curse of childhood adversity, right? Yeah. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be the story and how I stayed resilient through the years. And, and it's what we talked about, connection, conversation. Great. Yeah. So when that book comes out, um, hopefully I'll grab a copy I and read it. One. And then, yes. thank you. And then we'll have you back on the show later in 2020 to talk about the book and take a deeper dive. Would you do that? Great. I would love to do that. You can for you anything. Oh gosh. Anything okay. You. I'm blushing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Leslie. You're wonderful. This is deep deep stuff. And I think there's a lot of nurses out there who need to take these deep dives. So thanks for being one of the people out there advocating for people to do this work. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And thank you for everything you do too. Thanks, My pleasure Kate. and privilege. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to episode 262 of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, those show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 262. You're going to want to connect with Leslie and read her story and read about what she does, watch her videos. And if you'd like to bring her to your organization or work with her individually, or even have one of those 30-minute complimentary sessions with her to take a little bit of a deep dive and see what you can learn from that conversation, please go for it. And the Nurse Keith Show is always expertly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Rob and Mark keep the wheels turning in the right direction, and I could not be more grateful to them for doing so. So there, be well. Dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith Singh. Adios till next time from rainy Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Leslie Peters bidding you adios from... Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Leslie. And we will catch everyone next time.